I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Lane Rausch. Lane is a senior vice president at Arctic Wolf, and on this episode, we talk about his decision to join a startup and why Arctic Wolf fit the criteria he was seeking. Now, Arctic Wolf has grown to over 1,200 employees and counting. Enjoy the episode, happy holidays, and as always, please feel free to message me via email or LinkedIn if there are questions you wish I would have asked Lane. Lane, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you went into IT directly after high school, to my understanding. Uh, What was the kind of thought process there? What was uh, calling you in the IT ecosystem? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I you know when I was younger, uh, I think like you know thirteen, fourteen, I, I had a fascination with computers, and uh, my parents finally got me one. You know, I was the guy that was you know loading it up, and you know first first internet connection was AOL, and you know you heard the modem beep and got a little scared, and <laughs> uh, just kind of kind of dove in from there. And you know it was interesting as I was going through high school, I was always um, you know sort of a computer nerd. I just kind of liked being you know on them and. Uh, I remember uh, the conversation with my dad. Uh, he's like, cool. So which college are you going to go to? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not going to college. And he's like, uh, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go do a you know, Microsoft certification course out of high school. Um, and then I'm going to just work on computers the rest of my life. So I probably don't need to go to college. Um, and so, so for me, it was really more of a um, I didn't. I didn't see the value coming out of high school necessarily going going into a four year college um, where I knew I could go get the right level of certification and then get you know a well paying job right out of high school. And so that was my initial mindset. And obviously that evolved uh, evolved over time. Right. And what was the kind of realization like when you actually started working in IT? Uh, what was the maybe wake up call in terms of what it's like actually working with computers? on a day-to-day basis as your job, as opposed to just kind of tinkering around with different projects like AOL modems in high school? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. So for me, it was, it was actually a, a breath of fresh air because, hmm. um, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, tinkering with them or building them or playing games or trying to figure out how they work, you don't really understand uh, what enterprise IT looks like, right? You don't understand yep what it takes to actually build a, a network uh, for thousands of people. Um, you don't understand how directory services really function. And so what's really nice is when I got in there, um, I realized very quickly that um, IT wasn't just about tinkering with computers, but it was really about how you drive business. And so, mm. you know, I had a lot of uh, really important lessons learned uh, early in my career at the first, uh, first place I went um, all the way from, you know, I thought it was going to be cool to install, you know, sub seven, like a remote, remote access Trojan uh, <laughs> on, on the corporate network, because I was like, well, yeah, but then I can access it from anywhere. Um, that was a very big lesson learned, right? You don't, you, know, <laughs> you don't install Trojans on a corporate network. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so for me, you know, for me, Kyle, it really came down to a, a conversation where I finally understood in my head that there was business merit and not just tinkering with computers, right? And and at that type of scale, you just learn so much. And the best part was you, you know, at that time, you know, if you were on the the network as a as an administrator or even a PC technician or running the help desk or whatever, um, you you had root, right? You were administrator. And so you started to learn all these different avenues of where you could and could not uh, uh, solve business problems without having to try to figure out, you know, like, just how the actual operating system worked. There was so much mm-hmm. more to computers and IT than I ever even knew. 
Interesting. And so it sounds like a couple of these experiences had a bit of a security uh, kind of tinge to them as well. What was your kind of impression about the idea of cybersecurity at the time when you had a very IT focused role, you're very kind of operationally driven. Uh, how did that maybe influence your initial perspective on cybersecurity as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I honestly, um, when you're when you're running, and this was you know early two thousands, and so you know when you were running back then, it was about how do I make the physician more successful? How do I you know how do I solve this problem that's been presented to me? Um, and to be honest with you, kind of security be damned, right? Was sort <laughs> of the the mentality. And I was probably you know a security professional today's worst nightmare, right? Because it was all about how do I get this thing up and running? I don't care if I'm going to run a you know command <laughs> a command line script in you know in a batch file that has a password, you know, stored in it. Like, I don't care. It works. Um, and so early on in my career, that security just wasn't as big of a, a part of, of an enterprise ecosystem, especially in a company that, you know, wasn't a fortune 100 or fortune 500. Sure. Um, but I'll tell you um, over time it evolved. I mean, there was, there was times where we would have, you know, pretty massive uh, virus outbreaks. I mean, that was back when like NIMDA and some of the SQL slammer stuff came out and, yeah. and it took, you know, us running around to devices with floppy drives to get out of it. And so I started <laughs> appreciating the idea of, you know, secure by design and making sure you're looking at that part um, within a corporate environment. And so my, my mindset over those eight years really evolved, Kyle, into understanding that security was critical, but there was also always, always a, a balance that I think is important where, Security is critical, but you also still have to make sure that the business can run. Um, and I've always played that side of making sure that you, you know, you're not so restrictive that you can't operate as a, as a company, but also making sure as you're making decisions, uh, security is foundational. Yep, to be sure. I think that's a big part of the kind of DevSecOps mindset of today, right, is making sure that as security practitioners, we remind ourselves that the business is about more than just the security of itself and how is it able to generate revenue, build great products for its users, so on and so forth. And I think to your point, a lot of the, the folks that I've talked to that come from that kind of initial IT background or even a, a development background uh, have a bit of a broader perspective in terms of what good looks like from a security standpoint, because again, they have that kind of more well-rounded thought process through there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Okay. So like you alluded, you kind of changed your perspective on college a handful of years later. You ended up finishing your degree in 2010, I believe. What was the kind of change of heart there? Yeah. So it's funny. We, um, where I was at, we were one of the first um, electronic medical record systems actually in the country. And um, we had a we had a provider that's pretty well known. And, and I, I flew out there with uh, one of my leaders and um, he still to this day is a, is a, is an awesome human. Um, I still, I still, uh, ping him every once in a while when I need some advice or some help. Um, but we flew out there and we were basically getting a, a quarterly business review from them on, on what was working, what was not working. Cause we were actually hosting it, uh, there. And I was sitting in the room and Kyle, I remember like looking around thinking to myself, like, well, I know all the answers to this, but like, I don't feel smart enough. You know, like I had like this thing of like, what is missing? And I was sitting, uh, I was actually drinking a beer with him uh, on the way, on the way home, uh, waiting at the airport. And I kind of told him this feeling and he's like, well, yeah, Lane, you've, you've never been to college. And, and it, at the, at first I kind of felt, you know, slighted a little, like, what does that mean? You know, what, who cares? 
Um, but as I started digging into it and really figuring out what I was going to get out of a, a degree, I realized very quickly what it was going to bring for me was how I take the thoughts and the copious amounts of thoughts in my brain and how do I put them onto paper and synthesize mm. them into something that's digestible for a different audience. And so for me, putting in the effort and time, you know, going through my degree was really about that, like how I take my thoughts and put them onto paper, um, which I never, you know, really had to do uh, truly in my life until I went through the college experience. And and honestly, it made a vast difference in uh, my skill set and my capability, especially when it came to the internal business uh, facing processes at the companies I've worked for. Interesting. My my first thought as I'm kind of hearing this is you had all this IT experience going into what was really undergraduate for you. And so that bachelor's degree kind of became what's traditionally a, a master's degree for someone, right? Where they have a bunch of deep expertise in a given field. And then it's about kind of taking that next step, being able to communicate what they're working on to those different audience audiences, be able to tell the business value and kind of make that transition more into, into management. Is that kind of how you see it looking back? Yeah, you absolutely got it. And, and it's funny because I knew... I knew that I was probably destined to a management role at some point. I mean, as you would agree, and I think most of the world will agree, you can be a leader without being a manager. Um, so, sure. so it was never about leadership. Um, you know, I, I felt like I had a, I had that piece of my <laughs> my pie uh, established, but I always had an idea that I'd probably end up in a management role at some point in my life, and I just knew that this was something that I was going to have to go through to make sure that when I got into a position of you know uh, managing people and building teams, I, I had that side of the 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 you know <laughs> the equation. Um, because I already had the technical side. I already knew that. I already knew how to, you know, meet the technical requirements to the business value. I just didn't necessarily understand how to articulate it properly across the organization and get buy-in. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then when you joined Code 42, I think you kind of had that opportunity to become more of a kind of manager and leader, at least by title. It sounds like, again, you you had some of those opportunities already uh, within your different positions. But you also were joining pre-sales at Code42. What was it about pre-sales in particular and some of the opportunities afforded you uh, that attracted you to, to that position? Yeah. So my, my first pre, uh, pre-sales gig actually ended up being at uh, EMC. Um, hmm. And I was actually selling uh, data domain and Avamar, which was in the backup space. And Kyle, okay. it was really funny. So when I was at a, a my previous company, um, I was I was a storage compute virtualization guy. Um, and sure. I'd worked really closely with uh, the team there to, you know, really consolidate multiple data centers into, you know, highly available single single centers um, that didn't take, you know, 60 racks. And so I was playing with a lot of cool technologies back then, you know, whether it was Cisco UCS uh, was just coming out as a compute platform, obviously VMware was big. Um, so I learned a lot about infrastructure and my, my boss came to me and he's like, hey, we have a backup problem. Like we need to fix this. And I'm like, nope. I'm not a backup guy. You know, that's not, that's not where I want to live. Um, and, and I ended up taking on the project and I learned a lot about the technology and through that process, you know, I kind of took some of my curiosity and the way I operate and, you know, started building scripts and started writing, uh, you know, some code levels around the things that you weren't supposed to necessarily be doing with those backup programs. <laughs> um, and, and I started basically engaging in user groups around the cities here in Minneapolis and, mm. Um, so when I did that, I started, you know, presenting and things like that. And 
there was a there was a leader. Um, his name's Dave Payne. He's he's an amazing guy. Um, he saw me there and he's like, "Hey, I think you should become a pre-sales engineer." And I was like, "No, I don't think so." And that was a dance for about nine months until I finally took the took the dive. And I will tell you, um, I did not realize at the time that you know a pre-sales engineer is basically the best job in IT, um, especially for somebody like me. Um, so for me, Kyle, it was it was one of these situations where I had somebody help me, you know, cross that chasm and really understand what that was going to mean. Um, and once I did it, I was about three or four months in, and it, my initial reaction was. Oh boy, this is a lot harder work than I ever thought, right? Because I was kind of in cruise control, you know, everything was kind of automated when you're, you know, running infrastructure. Um, and it was a brand new career. And I learned a lot about the business world and I learned a lot about um, execution and following up and doing what you're say, you know, doing what you say you're gonna do. Um, and it, and at first I was like, uh oh, I might have made a mistake. Um, but I kept going, kept pressure or you know, pressing on, and then I eventually um realized when I was at EMC um, over to Code42 was I, I really need to learn about SaaS and I really need to learn about the cloud movement. And I need to make sure mm. that I have myself positioned um, in, a, in a way that I don't just understand you know, traditional infrastructure, but what does cloud really mean, right? And not only from the, the nuts and bolts, but also from the, <laughs> the contracts and the business side, which is really the reason I took the leap uh, going to Code42 um, which then I learned a lot of stuff there as well. What was that like making that transition into cloud and having to learn about all this infrastructure that was kind of completely new to you, or maybe not entirely, but uh, only some of the the kind of traditional networking and, and infrastructure principles were going to translate over. Uh, so how did that kind of factor in with, again, you had a little bit of pre-sales experience at the time, but a lot of the kind of subject matter that you were learning was entirely new. What was that experience like? Yeah, so, so I, I I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and the funny part for me was I realized I realized that the the technology space and the stack in the cloud, even though I mean obviously now it's a lot different, right? You were talking about DevOps and DevSecOps, and you're talking about hyperscalers, right? Where where you're yeah. absolutely doing ephemeral like buildouts, and you know, so you're it's it was a little different even back then. You know, when we were talking about cloud, it was still servers, right? For the most part. And so what I learned at code around like cloud and subscription was actually more around um, that subscription services, uh, hmm. contract models, um, consumption models, um, right? Really about how you like, wow, we're going to release a feature and it's just going to like be there versus having to go through a full upgrade and make sure the database and all the infrastructure components are are, are in place before you actually do the software upgrade. I just realized sure, sure. like, wow, customers are going to adopt operational models uh, going out in the future way more than they ever have. And I mean, this was back when, you know, people weren't even like Office 365 was like a hint, you know, like, <laughs> like people hadn't really actually adopted it. But I knew for a fact that, businesses were going to absolutely transition and shift their mindset to buy in an operational outcome-driven model um, way more than, you know, I don't care what servers are running exchange in the cloud, right? I just want to use email. Right. Um, and, and that's really what I learned at Code was less about tech stack and a lot more about um, business drivers into an outcome-based model. Hmm. Okay. And so you had that I think it was two or three years of experience at Code42. Again, getting some of that exposure to what the SaaS model looks like, uh, what some of those business drivers are, like you said, and then you ended up joining Arctic Wolf in 2016. What triggered that move? Why Arctic Wolf? 
Yeah. So, it, so when we, when I was at code, um, we'd started, so, so code 42, uh, is a really interesting company and an interesting story that I'm sure there can be many books written about at some <laughs> point, but, um, for, it was, it was always positioned as a, as a backup company, right? We, we tried to play in sink and share. And then, and then really, uh, at the beginning of 2015, um, we started having conversations internally and we built together a tiger team of what would a security outlook look like at code, right? Like we have agents on every system. Um, you know, we have almost every version of every file that's ever been on the system. Like we have really good visibility. And, and so we started putting together an idea of what, a security play or a security visibility play could be. And I went out to RSA that February, um, talked to hundreds of security practitioners about what could be uh, based on the tech and the information that we had in our platform. Hmm. And it became really clear that there was an actually a pretty good security and a visibility play um, on that platform. And so that was the first time, Kyle, that I had actually like really dug into what a security practice practitioner in an enterprise looks like because hmm. traditionally, you know, I'd, I'd traditionally been more of an infrastructure side, not necessarily a security practitioner. I'd always played in security in the, in, you know, the, the gray side of my life, <laughs> right? Like, sure, like sure. how does this stuff work? And like, you know, how, like how do you crack weapon? Right. It was more like, in, it was more like fun and like trying to figure it out versus actually as a, as a practitioner. And so right. I would say that was my first transition into wow, I think I'm going to live in the security world uh, for a long time to come. And so when the opportunity for Arctic Wolf came up, you know, it hit a lot of things that I needed, right? It was uh, one, uh, an actual startup, right? So a very small um, company, uh, which was important to me because I wanted to build. I wanted to make sure that I was foundational in anything I was doing. Two, it was a subscription business, right? So it was definitely in the SaaS market. It was in security in general. And then for me, it also came down to uh, uh, people, right? So um, obviously, you know, I knew uh, Nick Schneider, who is our CEO now. Um, I knew Will Briggs, uh, and I knew that there was going to be good people here. So for me, it was great people, uh, great market, um, right model from a subscription perspective. And then, and then lastly, which I thought was interesting is, you know, I trusted in uh, the platform and the technology and what they'd already built over the previous four years, uh, because, you know, our, our, our CEO president at that time, Brian Nesmith, you know, they'd already had successful runs at companies like Blue Coat. So it just checked a lot of boxes for me, Kyle. Right. And it was really a low risk, no brainer decision for me. Yeah, certainly hard to turn down that that combination of different factors that you just put together uh, makes it sound like a, a no brainer. So, I mean, thinking about Arctic Wolf and its comparison to other just kind of security operations focused companies, what was it that Arctic Wolf was doing right that you thought, I clearly see this company as a, as a leader in the space moving forward? Yeah. So I'd, I'd be lying if I told you it was like, oh, this is absolutely going to be perfect and there's going to be no problems, right? I think for <laughs> me it was, I, I, I didn't really see out when I was doing my own research, my own investigation, you know, the the I this managed detection and response market had been identified by Gartner in May of 2016, right? So it was a mm. it was new, um, and I could tell that there was definitely potentially overlap into the traditional managed security service provider market. There was overlap, you know, in in even just like prevention tools coming up, and and for me, I just I I really felt like. Um, the human side of the problem wasn't going away. And so I just, I've always felt like if you can operationalize uh, 
especially security instance, but really anything. If you can operationalize them into known quantities, you're going to be able to scale and get leverage out of it. And and at Arctic Wolf, my first question when I was coming before I came on uh, to to Brian and and another guy was like, if if we're solving a human problem, but we require humans to be able to solve the problem, aren't we going to run into the same issue, right? And and the and the conversation quickly became. Yes, but we're going to focus, meaning we're not going to try to become a managed security service provider and manage firewalls, right? Or, uh, you know, resell technology and help implement it. Uh, we are going to stay focused and true to this idea out of the gate of managed detection and response. And how do we identify um, incidents and reduce the impact when they're found? And we held really true to the, that same uh, vision for a long time. And, and what we what I've found over the course of, you know, five and a half years here is that even with our expanded security operations cloud and what we're doing, um, it still falls into the same mantra of how do we reduce risk in customers' environments um, versus how do I go and attack a commoditized space? And and so, uh, Kyle, I love it because we are legitimately addressing something that the majority of the world in terms of corporations just can't solve themselves, right? They can't even very, very well address it, let alone solve it. And so I I just early on felt really comfortable with not only um, what we were doing, but how we were going to go about doing it. And uh, so far over the last five and a half years, it's, it's played out exactly like I would have expected. (laughs) So how big was the company when you actually joined? I know it's over 400 or so employees today. What does that growth look like? Yes, yeah, so I actually was I was employee around thirty five ish, and we're actually at about twelve hundred employees. Today. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I I mean when I the other part of this I didn't really say earlier is the other factor of me joining Arctic Wolf was there was no pre sales engineering team, right? So I also knew that I was going to be able to get in, do the job, figure out what type of people I needed to build out that organization, and then run with it. And and so for me, you know, when I started, like I said, no pre sales. And you know now we're you know over a hundred, and so for me it's been really fun to not only be able to uh, learn the security market and solve a lot of our customers' problems, but I've also had to learn and grow as an actual leader and a manager, um, which right. I've which I've been able to do over the last five and a half years. And so um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a it's been a lot of growth, Kyle. <laughs> and again, you talked about staying true to the idea of managed detection and response, but. Over the course of the last five and a half years, there's been a lot of change in security operations. Tools like SOAR, for example, security orchestration, automation response, uh, certainly generated a lot of buzz in the industry. Uh, Remains to be seen exactly what percentage of companies can use that effectively. Uh, But again, lots lots of change in the space. How has Arctic Wolf tried to adapt to some of these different trends within the industry while still staying true to that whole MDR idea? Yeah, so I think the the key here is that um, it's all about how do you stay true and focused on something that you're good at, but also making sure that you're increasing what you can do uh, in order to grow. So for us, for example, you know, we we started as as a managed detection response company. Um, we are absolutely working to uh, you know capture and and define the security operations market. Um, so you know, for us, we built a security operations cloud, uh, basically a platform for us to deliver more than even just MDR today. And so, Kyle, I think what's been important for us is is it's been about as opportunities come up, as you've identified uh, the market better and where the pain points are, where there's a human 
uh, component versus a technical component, capturing that and, and making sure that, you know, if you're going to do something, go in and do it um, versus, you know, doing it halfway. Um, that's not, that's not the way that we we've done this. And so, you know, today we, we do manage detection and response, but we also do, uh, like vulnerability management and hardening components. We have a managed security awareness component, but the, the key is we still backstop all of that through our concierge delivery model, right? Meaning there's still a right. human component to all of that. It's not a, Hey, let me sell you a SIM or let me sell you an XDR component or a SOAR platform, or right, let me sell you a, a vulnerability scanner. And then, you know, give you some professional services. We are all about how do we drive outcomes within customers? And so we have evolved over the last five and a half years, but, but the core and the root of what's made us successful is our go-to-market strategy, our service delivery via our concierge model. And then we just need to make sure that as we continue to expand our, you know, our, our, our overall security operations uh, cloud and platform, that, that we stay true to the idea that, you know, we have a ton of technology in the back end. And, you know, the whole idea of XDR, frankly, we've been doing XDR before XDR was cool, right? It's just <laughs> not something that we went out and said, hey, we're going to sell you this XDR platform, what we said is, no, what we're going to do is we're going to identify and help you get to the outcome of knowing if, if you've been breached or if there's a security incident and here's what you need to do, or here's what our response actions are going to be. Um, and so it's been more driven on outcome and customer requirement than it has per se a market, if you will. Sure. And I'm curious, right? We've talked a lot about the kind of people aspect that's still very core to Arctic Wolf's delivery model. What do you think some of the key advantages or disadvantages are of being an engineer in a company that has the concierge-based model, such as maybe having uh, the extra leeway when you're actually delivering to a client because you know your concierge team is going to figure out any kind of minor bugs that might pop up? Got it. Yeah. So when you're saying engineer, you're talking mainly development type engineer, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it is different, right? Because your your main customer out of the gate is going to be the actual security team, right? That's going to have to deliver the service. But over the course of years, we've had to evolve. And really there's two customer sets, right? There's what you deliver from a customer facing perspective. And then there is the internal operations and how you, how you do that. Now, the, the advantage for us is um, we are building and delivering uh, the efficiency where we need to, or we can choose not to maybe deliver efficiency, but still deliver the outcome in a different way through the hmm. human model. So it allows us to be nimble and pivot where we need to and invest, you know, uh, R and D and development resources where it, where it's critical versus where it's, where it's maybe not as critical. Um, and I think it's allowed us to really, uh, hold that at our, at our core. Um, I would say from a, a, a disadvantage, if you will, it, it's the it's the concept of, you know, you're going to go into a customer, depending on who they are, um, they're going to have a preconceived notion of what you are, right? So we've had to do a ton of education over the mm. course of, you know, five, five and a half years of, you know, look, if you're looking for a, a, a SIM that you can buy off the shelf and go hire, you know, eight to 12 people and do this yourself, we're probably not the right fit, right? Because what we're doing is driving the outcome of what that is. That doesn't mean you don't need security people. That doesn't mean you don't need a security program, right? That doesn't mean you don't need any of that. But if fundamentally your requirement is to buy a tool, that's really not what we're doing. And so, right. you know, for, and so that, that can be a disadvantage if you're, if you're talking about uh, market capture. But the key is, is that ultimately in my view, and I think my, I think the most of the world is my guess is that 
the broader market actually needs this operationalized more than they need another tool. Yep. I think that's a, a fair kind of analysis of how security operations exist today and, and some of the problems that exist out there. Um, and again, going back to kind of the, the human centric aspects that, that make it really challenging as opposed to uh, just, for example, implementing a new SOAR tool. Uh, right. So yeah, when you joined Arctic Wolf, you mentioned that part of your criteria was joining a small company. Uh, you had the opportunity to then kind of build out this whole pre-sales capacity and capability. How has this whole experience maybe influenced your own feelings about being an entrepreneur, whether that's kind of taking charge of different pre-sales initiatives in the scope of the company um, or just kind of thinking about what might be next for you from an entrepreneurship uh, kind of lens? Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of have, I kind of have three, if you will, uh, I guess sayings or mantras <laughs> that I kind of live by. Sure. Um, and I, and I think those have all been, you know, built off of my experience mainly here at Arctic Wolf. And, um, the, the first one is, um, you know, you really need to set the, uh, realistic expectations based on your realistic deliverables. Right. And I think that what that really means to me is, um, having the hard conversations and, and being more of a, a challenger on not only from a selling motion, but from a channel partner, also from an internal, it's just really important to be, you know, upfront and honest and get to hard conversations where they matter. Um, and I, and I think that's been something that's been, you know, I've been that way my whole life, but it's been mm -hmm. definitely reinforced here. And it's something I reinforce with, with the broader team as well. So, um, that, that for me has been solidified Kyle, which basically means like, try not to kid yourself, right? Like let's make <laughs> sure if it's a, if it's a real thing, let's have the conversation and determine if it's a real problem or not, which then leads into my next one, which is I refuse to solve problems that don't exist or don't exist quite yet. Mm. Um, and I think that a lot of times, and this is not just in the business world. I think, I think people do this in their personal lives as well is we, we manufacture things that could be problems and then we try to solve for them before we've really understood if it's actually going to be a problem <laughs> or not. Sure, sure. Um, and, and people end up wasting time in cycles where they don't need to need to waste them. And so that is something that I've learned here very quickly, which is um, you have to prioritize your time and your focus. Um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be ahead of the curve. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be looking your, you know, weeks, months, years out, um, but make sure that you're actually solving problems that need to be solved. Um, it's kind of like, you know, in sales, it's like, don't negotiate against yourself. I think in SE world, it's basically don't solve problems that don't exist. Um, and then the last one for me is, um, it, it's, it's my, you know, the hashtag of, you know, context creates confidence and confidence builds culture. So, um, I think that sometimes, uh, in the world of startup or the world of business, um, people forget to go and get the context, right? They don't mm. necessarily do the homework on the front end or even the back end uh, to make sure that when they're making decisions or even making statements in, in a group of people, um, if they don't have the context, a lot of times they're, they're going to be in a bad spot. And so Kyle, as a, you know, entrepreneur or not, I think for me, those three foundational items are, are pretty much going to be with me the rest of my life and kind of how I operate, not only uh, as a as a personal person, <laughs> but also as a, as a leader within, within startups. Yeah. I think it's great to hear you bring out three themes that both touch on founders, but then also just leaders in any organization. And 
just understanding how are we managing our resources, such as our time, and how are we communicating effectively with things uh, such as context in order to both keep people informed, but then also keep people motivated in terms of why they're working on different types of, of projects and, and efforts and, and even problems. So, it, yeah, so, I mean, again, five and a half years so far, Arctic Wolf, what's next for you and the team here? Yeah, I, I would, I would say more of the same, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't, I don't think there's any reason for us to, you know, make massive shifts or pivots. There's still a lot of companies. I mean, I think it's over 99% of companies still don't have a fully functional sock. So um, for me, there's not really a reason to right pivot and do something different. Now, obviously yeah. we'll continue to evolve and, and, you know, address challenges and problems as they come up. Um, but, but I, I foresee Arctic Wolf, uh, you know, continuing down this this pace of how do we help reduce and in cyber risk in co- customers' environments by you know foundationally reducing the likelihood of a security incident happening, and then when one happens, how do you limit the limit the impact? And I think those two you know mantras around ending cyber risk are are real. Um, I think it's how customers are going to get into a spot where you know we're not. <laughs> Like hearing about all the different breaches and all the different problems, if we dig into a lot of them, most of them still don't have the foundational items of what good security look like, you know, and they're they're chasing kind of the next best thing of maybe I should buy this prevention tool that's going to be, you know, 99.8% efficacy versus 99.6. And and then you're like, cool, what are you doing for log aggregation and historical uh, forensics investigations and network monitoring and, you know, well, nothing. Okay, well, let's start somewhere different. Um, Yeah. And I still think that's a real problem in our world. And so I don't see us necessarily changing that mantra. But what I will tell you is um, we're going to continue figuring out how to scale not only uh, what our delivery model is here in in North America, but also, you know, across the globe. And so um, we're just going to keep doing more of the same uh, with a very strong lens on on uh, outcome-based security operations through the basically the massive security operations cloud and platform we've already built. Awesome. Well, yeah, it sounds like, again, staying tried and true to the model that's already been uh, been battle tested for the last almost decade now. Uh, for any aspiring systems engineer folks or just pre-sales members, uh, is your team currently hiring? Uh, my team's always hiring. Um, <laughs> you know, right. Go to, to arcticwolf.com slash careers. I pretty much have, you know, we always have recs open. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I'm re- Reach out. I'm, I'm always, always open to talk. Perfect. Well, again, thanks so much for your time today, Lane. Really appreciate all the all the wisdom and uh, just your journey here and uh, what the, the Arctic Wolf experience has been like. Thanks, Kyle. Hey, uh, the last thing I would like to just say is, um, and I, I know this is obviously a, a recorded podcast, but I think it's really important that, you know, uh, we as Arctic Wolf and, and I think, you know, my employees and all of our employees here at Arctic Wolf, um, like we, we obviously want to thank not only our customers, but also our channel community. Um, our partners are, are, you know, one of a kind. And I think it's been important that our success has really been based on, on customers and partners. So just want to thank them. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.